gets it to first. The Rams were built to win the Super Bowl, and they have sealed the deal. The Golden State Warriors return to a familiar place. They're on top of the NBA world. They reach the summit of the Ambulance of 2022 Stanley Cup champions. Right at the buzzer, we thought we had the game closed off. Buck gets dumped into the neutral zone. D-Man loses this guy, cuts in front of the net, scores, and we go to overtime. <laughs> And here we are, episode 148, the OT of For Future Considerations. God, that you were supposed to cut that defenseman last week. <laughs> that guy's a pylon. It's still preseason. Just because it's your cousin. It's still preseason. Relax. Oh, come on now. One bad shift. If you're not first, you're last. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe it's the Labor Day weekend, boys? I know. You know, this is one of the most annoying weeks of uh, any time. You get these about, uh, not every month, I guess, but uh, but some months where you're trying to figure out your week schedule, but all you have to do is flip between calendars on your phone from August yeah, to yes. September. Yeah. We're finally on the right month, and, and we can go ahead. The girls ready for school? They've been ready for two weeks. Oh, really? Oh, they're pumped. Okay, okay. I don't understand it. Like, yeah. they have a whole pool to enjoy. Yeah. Like. To me, it seems summer flies by so fast. Yes. And I just wanted to slow down a little bit mm-hmm. and well, enjoy the pool a little bit more. I know it's a little bit different than when, when you were going off to, to grade school and stuff. They're smart and popular, so of course they want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> I was a kid in the back of the room at the end of the line. I was the last guy picked for dodgeball. Picking the gum off the bottom of the desk. Even Rashad got picked before me, right, Rashad? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, it is Labor Day weekend, whatever you decide to do. I hope you have a little bit of fun. This is the episode we like to call the OT, when we are joined by a special guest. Our first episode of the week, as always, is our debate episode. And this week, we debated everything from Julio Rodriguez to Phil Kessel to Mike Babcock. So go back and have a listen. While you're at it, check out last week's OT episode with former NHL tough guy Nathan Parrott, who shared some of the best stories in the history of the OT for future considerations. And these are the ones he could tell us, which is frightening. We can't do it justice. You have to listen to it for yourself. Just like Bob Murray did, a good friend of the podcast who said he loved the stories. So don't take our word for it. Take Bob's word for it. And Bob, thanks for sharing it. This episode is going to focus on Hockey Canada. And while we're talking about Hockey Canada, we want to say congratulations to former guest Will Cooley, who was part of Team Canada that won gold in August. Yes, we uh, talked to Will uh, when he was first named to the training camp back in December and really launched his career. Uh, Another guy, (laughs) you're welcome. It was a great episode, episode 85 if you want to go. That's all the way back. We were were broadcasting in black and white back then. (laughs) So go back and take a listen to that one. Episode 85 with Will Cooley. Now it's time to go in depth with our guest this week. This guy is a graduate of the University of Western Ontario in London. He has worked as a reporter for the Chatham-Kent Daily Post and Chatham Voice. He launched his own sports network called the Chatham-Kent Sports Network in 2011, where he promotes sports in his own community. He also now writes for the Hockey News. He has even written a book titled On Account of Darkness. It's a big-time guest. Please welcome this author, reporter, and sports junkie due for future considerations, Ian Kennedy. Ian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great. Great to have you on. 
not far from our neck of the woods, even though John's a little bit farther away. It's great to have a southwestern Ontario guy on the podcast. Absolutely. Lots of, uh, lots of sports talk down here and uh, lots of incredible rivalries, whether we're talking Detroit-Toronto or some of the more local things in the OHL and beyond. But uh, yeah, I'm glad to be here and, and talking some sports with you. First guy we've ever had on this show that's launched his own sports network, <laughs> Chatham Kent Sports Network, CKSN.ca. So it's been more than a decade since you launched that. Uh, let's let's go back to the beginning. What made you decide to do that, and and did you ever envision it it becoming what it has? Uh, I don't know. I just loved sports and I loved writing. And you know, like any other person, probably nowadays, you you start your own blog or you you begin tweeting or or something like that just to to get this out there and uh, i i felt the need to kind of promote my community and and uh, the, the local athletes maybe help them get recruited and things like that uh, through some coverage and it just kind of burgeoned from there where uh, you know we went from a few hundred readers to uh, several thousand uh, every week and it, it grew from there and remains uh, you know a, a a niche market in the community where we can continue to celebrate those athletes that have gone on the Bridget Carlton's in the WNBA or the TJ Brody's in the NHL and our local teams as well. So, you know, it, it became something allowed me over the years to uh, develop my own writing voice, which I think uh, obviously has helped recently in some of the, the things that I'm doing, but uh, yeah, just a passion project that uh, bubbled up and, and got a little bit bigger than I expected. Yeah, and one of the things that I think, and Manny being in the media experience, uh, myself with some media experience, yourself obviously, um, you know, the media, if anything else, seems to be getting further and further away from the world of sports. Where you know the the feature article, one of the feature articles on your site right now, as I'm looking at it, Golden Eagles U15s win the Eastern Canadian Championship. Like that news and, and information is not necessarily heard on the radio anymore. It's not in the newspaper anymore. So uh, I'm sure you've seen kind of a, a spike from that being seemingly the focus uh, and, and sole focus of, of the athletes of Chatham-Kent. Yeah, you know, as, as small neighborhood newspapers closed over the year, that was another consideration that I had in starting this because the little towns that used to each have their own newspaper and could celebrate these kids no longer exist. And, uh, you know, media is kind of getting combined so that one person's covering three or four towns now, not just one and uh, so some people are getting overlooked you know the kids that really love sports and want to see their picture in the paper like we all did and uh, that that portion of it's gone Um, so hopefully you know whether it's our website or our social media platforms we can pick up that torch and carry it a little bit because they deserve to be celebrated and have some uh, some good news which is what I think we all started within sports now now I kind of am a you know a critiquer of sports is my uh, more so my role nowadays in the world um but i still love to celebrate the local kids as well hey we love the critique part of it too by the way is chatham getting an ohl or team or what's the deal now i hear councils looking at a whole new arena like what's your take on this i think the arena is going to go through that the proposal is absolutely beautiful it will be a complete revitalization of downtown and if you look at the history um, you know, Chatham-Kent has lost out on two or three OHL teams, uh, probably most notably teams like the Plymouth Whalers, um, Erie Otters. Uh, we've, it's, even the Mark and Dale Hunter wanted to bring an OHL team to Chatham back in the day, 
And the uh, the bone of contention, the sticking point, has always been that there is no OHL-capable arena here. Uh, Chatham-Kent is growing a little bit right now. You know, I, I think there's an upswing in our, uh, our industry and uh, potential sponsors and uh, all the things that you would need. And our downtown is really getting a facelift as well. So will there be an NHL or OHL team? I don't know. Um, if you build it, they'll come, right? That's... Uh, there's, there's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of rumors already in town that uh, there's something in the works or something that's already been uh, handshake agreements done. But uh, until I see it, uh, I will not believe it because I have heard that far too many times here. I was going to say, not the first time somebody yeah. ever asked you if the OHL is coming to Chatham, I'm going to assume. No, that, the that's a pretty common that. conversation. I've, I think I've had it with... Uh, a couple of different mayors and many different councillors now, uh, several different business people, and uh, every year you'll hear the same thing. Now, we've been hearing about a new arena in Chatham for decades as well, so uh, until that portion's uh, handled, I don't think that we can even begin to talk about uh, the other part of it, but, you know, um, we'll see. I've seen the drawings too, and they look great. You're right. It, it, it's quite a plan. I just don't think there's enough seats in it. Like for an OHL team now, you've got to get close to 9,000 seats. Yeah, you know, I think they're talking 4,000 or 4,500 or something like that. Um, if you look at the average OHL attendance, though, that would still be, you know, if they filled it every night, it would be okay. It, they would succeed. Um, you know, the Maroons are one of the top drawing junior hockey teams in Ontario, period. doesn't matter what level it is outside of the OHL. You know, you can pick on some of the the southwestern Ontario teams, whether it's Stratford or uh, Sarnia and uh, LaSalle, Leamington. You know, that's where you're seeing crowds, actually, is in some of these markets that are outside of our uh, the OHL centers. And uh, so who knows? Could Chatham do like I, I said, it, it's all going to be uh, as long as the business dollars and the sponsorships there behind it. Uh, I think the crowds will find themselves once the uh, the level comes. But again, until it's built. Um, this is just, a, a you know, chatter. <laughs> and, uh, while you're launching a sports network and keeping that alive, you also found some time to write a book. Congratulations on that, on the account of darkness, uh, which shines a light on race and sport. How did you come to writing that? And, and what was that writing experience like for you? Well, I mean, over the years with the Chatham Kent Sports Network, I've kind of been collecting some stories, whether it's the Chatham Colored All-Stars or learning about Fergie Jenkins uh, you know, Mel and Herb Wakabayashi, Bob Azumi. Uh, we, we talk about all these guys that are, are, are famous. Uh, Vicky Sunahara's family's from here, you know, Olympic gold medalist. Uh, and uh, I, I don't think that they're talked about enough. And I don't think that the issues that uh, they've gone through were talked about enough. But that really wasn't what sparked the book. It just uh, the pandemic, I guess, you know, live sports stopped. And I had some time to work on a passion project. I've always, of course, loved sports and, uh, you know, the social justice and the social issues of things, equity in sport has been uh, a passion of mine for, for many years now. And uh, it was an opportunity to put the two things together. And uh, so I started doing it thinking I was just going to self-publish something. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, while I was in the Black Mecca Museum in Chatham researching, I think I was uh, looking up uh, Eddie Wright or the Chatham Colored All-Stars or something like that, so, you know, a prominent local story. And uh, they received an email, that the Mecca Museum did, um, from a publishing company wondering if anyone was writing about the 
Chatham Colored All-Stars. And uh, I just happened to be sitting there doing exactly that. And, uh, <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't, I didn't set out to um, go on a book tour or, uh, uh, you know, do all these interviews that I've been doing about it and, and whatnot, but uh, it really led to a lot of great things. Those are some of the first stories that I had picked up by the Hockey News and the Globe and Mail and Yahoo Sports. I mean, all the, the publications that uh, I've found in the pandemic that uh, have really launched this writing thing for me uh, came through this book project. So, it, it, you know, right place, right time, kismet, whatever you want to call it, uh, it worked out and... Uh, now I'm, uh, you know, I have a book and a little bit less hair, so it's all good. <laughs> uh, great stories. They are tremendous stories. How's the response been to the book? Fabulous so far. I mean, it uh, it was on CBC's uh, 12 nonfiction reads you have to read this summer list. And, uh, you know, it's been getting great reviews from everywhere. Uh, it's just fabulous, the people that have responded to it and the local communities, because I think that was the most important thing. For me, um, you know, I am white uh, and writing about uh, these racialized populations, there's a, uh, some conversations to be had there before I, I did that. And, um, you know, I received a lot of support from our black and indigenous communities around here. And uh, we discussed how to approach it. And, and I kind of just did it as a story preservationist, not as a storyteller, because they weren't my stories to tell. Uh, I just wanted to keep the history alive. But uh, because of that, a lot of the families and the communities have been beyond grateful to finally see stories told about people that looked like them or people that, uh, you know, dealt with the same things, whether it was residential schools or Japanese internment camps or whatever it might have been. Um, it's been fabulous. And, and the, uh, the conversation from it, I think, is what's most important to me. Um, and that's continued on and continues to grow. So... Great response. Uh, we'll see where it goes from here, but uh, so far, so good. That's great. And you're writing for the Hockey News. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been doing that, and, and what uh, what kind of uh, stories that uh, that you've done there have really stood out for you? Oh, I think I'm uh, I'm I'm closing in on eight or nine months now. I think uh, you know, relatively new, I guess, but. Uh, it is a, a daily uh, business there for me. Uh, right now I'm covering the uh, Women's World Championships. Uh, I did the U18 tournament uh, earlier this summer. Um, you know, I, I do focus a lot on women's hockey there, um, but I obviously when the NHL kicks back in, I, I'll write about that. Uh, I've been covering the Hockey Canada news, which has been a real pleasure. Um, sarcasm. Uh, but it's, you know, <laughs> that has, uh, that's kept me beyond busy. Um, and uh, has been a real story that uh, I don't want to say it's what I like writing about because I wish these things were never happening. But it's where my, uh, uh, you know, exposing some of the, the things that are happening in sport to make it a better place for everybody is what I'm, you know, most capable of doing. That seems to be where uh, I get to fit into a lot of these writing projects. But, uh, you know, if you look at the magazine and in, in the hockey news, of course, I, you know, I, I've written about Mitch Marner and. Uh, Alex DeBrincat and and lots of these athletes that are incredible in the NHL, but uh, most of my stories follow um, the lesser heard voices. Still, you know, bringing uh, amplifying the voices of women in sport or racialized communities or whatever it might be that uh, where wherever the story has not been going before is where I'm hoping to uh, take the next story. And they're important stories to share. Like you were a must follow during the whole 
debacle involving Hockey Canada and the alleged sexual assaults, from the release of the information to the standing committee hearings and the information that were shared. Uh, how surprised were you at the revelations that came out? A, about the assaults, the alleged assaults, and, and even the slush fund, for example, that Hockey Canada had that I don't think many people knew about. I was not surprised at all, uh, not in the least. I think if you, you know, you can look at Dan Carcillo et al.'s uh, um, class action lawsuit against the Canadian Hockey League, and there is a slew of abuse in there, uh, most directed towards players. But I think anyone that has been surrounded or participated in the hockey world, in particular at the junior hockey level, uh, you you kind of know about this culture. You know that uh, the players are going out looking for these uh, sexual conquests and exploits. And uh, oftentimes, you know, there's a lot of other factors that are playing in there with drugs and alcohol and uh, peer pressure and things like that. But it uh, it's definitely not surprising. And uh, to see this revelation at a high level uh, is not surprising. Of course, now we know about 2003 along with 2018, and the, the stories uh, are going to keep coming. You know, this is not isolated. This is the tip of the iceberg. And the ones that we know about are only the ones that have either made it to the courts or made it to the media. But there's there's got to be, you know, hundreds and hundreds of these stories that uh, are just waiting, bubbling beneath the surface to be told and, and trying to find the right voice. And I know for me, uh, after that, I got uh, dozens of direct messages and stories that people were wanting to tell uh, and then there's, uh, you know, the journalistic practice of uh, vetting all of those, going through it and uh, finding out uh, the facts and if you can verify them. And, and so even from that standpoint, it's very hard to get a story from conversation to press. Um, and which is why I think, you know, some of these aren't coming out still. But there's a lot of people working on it behind the scenes, um, working together, even from... Uh, you know, competing uh, outlets trying to help each other with different stories that they might be working on. But yeah, not surprised. The slush fund, um, I think every major corporation has such a fund, maybe not to settle what Hockey Canada was selling, but there is definitely that uninsurable factor there. Uh, but it's upsetting to Canadians. I can understand that. You don't want your your uh, child's registration fees going to cover up the harm against someone else. And uh but yeah, this is tip of the iceberg. Even if we don't hear about something for six months, there is a ton um, that's there, and uh, people should know that. So let's talk about impact then in, in the future in a few different veins. Uh, we'll start with the World Junior Hockey Championship. So what kind of an impact do you think is going to have, uh, or will it have, on on that tournament, or, or maybe even the, the interest in that tournament? Well, we saw the one, uh, the summer version, uh, get almost no fans this year, uh, really was poorly attended. I don't know if that's because of the scandal that went on, because it's summer vacation, or because the tickets were 150 to $200 a piece if you wanted to sit anywhere where you could actually see the puck. And um, But going forward, you know, the next one is again hosted in Canada, it's supposed to be this uh, Christmas, New Year's. And uh, that, uh, I, I, I can't imagine... Again, seeing all of these funds from these ticket prices go into coffers of Hockey Canada that we, again, don't know what they're going towards. Um, we've seen in recent weeks where people are just refusing to step down. But uh, 
um, you know, sponsors have walked away and still no one will step down. Now they're kind of negotiating. How many people would you need to fire before you, you sponsors? That's unbelievable. Which, That's yeah, unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah. It's just, you know, the, the, it's, I don't want to say, I don't know. I, I'm not going to pin it on any one person, but it's the egotistical. It's narcissistic. It's, it's arrogant. It's all of those things combined in one. Uh, and I don't know who it's coming from there it, or if they really just truly believe that they can solve the problem that they caused because it's, uh, but it's baffling, I think, to so many people that we're still here months into this now and nobody's lost their job. I mean, we had uh, Michael Brindamore resign, but his job was up in November. Uh, nobody has lost their job. It is confusing. Um, Scott Smith being there still, you know, and a lot of this week, we can't put it all upon him. Uh, Tom Rennie, uh, you know, Bob Nicholson, those, those people that were there uh, for decades before creating all these systems, creating that slush fund, the National Equity Fund, um, creating the systems that they have in place to deal with reports and, and uh, violence and assaults and things like that. Because we, we've now learned all kinds of things, you know, like the, anyone that called the reporting hotline was actually getting forwarded to their legal team, not to a crisis management service or victim services. Um, so yeah, the fact that that all of those executives still have their job, um, you know, I don't know who, if Sport Canada is in charge of that to fire those people. I, I'm not sure who has that jurisdiction. Of course, the board could vote them out, um, could could remove them. Uh, and we did hear a rumor that that had happened, that there had been a motion by Michael Brindamore um, to have that happen. And Hockey Canada sent me a statement uh, personally, uh, because I was questioning it, saying, saying that that never did happen. There was never a motion by Michael Brindamore. Uh, however, you know, uh, only a week or two later, Michael Brindamore resigned. So is there a connection there? I don't know. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but... Uh, um, you know, the board needs to remove some people, that is for sure, because the fact that they're there is confusing. Something stinks, right? And, and Matt asked about the impact on the World Junior Hockey Championship. <laughs> what about the regular Joe and Mary lunch bucket and their kids, like signing up their kids in the fall and winter for hockey? Do you think this whole storyline will have an impact on the number of kids who play hockey? I think there's going to be the odd parent that... Uh, questions it or has pause i think there's going to be a lot more parents uh, and this has been a question that i've received multiple times that are sending their kids off to be billeted that are going to pay more attention they're going to ask them more questions they're going to ask them what they're doing on weekends or what their billet family is saying to them uh, they're going to ask them if there was hazing or if there was any other kind of ritual so i think that the, we actually might see a little more uh, vigilance from those around the game, we might see more reports as the season goes on, and we, uh, you know, some of those coaches that have a history of these things return to action. People might feel a little more empowered to speak. Um, but I don't know if the numbers are going to drop. You know, hockey in Canada is so tied to the national identity, and that's part of the problem, definitely. But uh, it is such an ingrained thing within uh, Canada's folklore that. Uh, to be Canadian, you have to somehow be involved in this game, which we know is completely false. You know, you can be uh, a proud Canadian and, and love checkers or chess or Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. You know, it has nothing to do with this sport that we play. But 
I don't think it I don't think the game's slowing down in Canada. And that might be actually a sign that this is a little more alarming than uh, we thought because we've seen some polls come out where people don't think this is a serious issue. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately, uh, you know, I, I think we all uh, can agree in what we'd like to see uh, happen from this and, and how Hockey Canada is going to react from this. How do you think this actually ends up? Is, is this something that we see people lose their jobs? Is this something that we think is eventually just hoped going to be swept under the table? Uh, they're going to say a couple of the right things at a press conference and, and that's that. How do you actually see this not necessarily ending, but uh, the the next few months, I guess. It's difficult to say. And I know November is going to be crucial because we're going to see the board of directors come up for, uh, you know, re-election. Um, but that's already a season lost because if we don't have programming in place uh, come September, you know, right now we're, we're in trouble. Uh, someone's going to lose their job, though. What, one way or another, because in September, the, you know, the, the talk is that there's going to be more hearings and more inquests, and we're going to see the results from the 2003 and 2018 cases coming out. Uh, but there's a, a general just real lack of trust, even the internal investigation. I mean, they, they appointed this Thomas Cromwell, who's a former Superior Court Justice, and uh, you only do that for one of a few reasons. And, and the main one is that they want everyone to believe what the results of that inquiry are going to be and what the investigation is. And if you've got a Supreme Court judge there, um, you know, that buys you some notoriety or integrity that's there. Um, but what's actually going to change? Absolutely nothing until lots of people get fired and an outside group of people are hired or brought into um, kind of see oversee what's going to happen next and we've seen them reach out to people and uh some of the the there was an olympian a few days ago that uh was asked to come in to oversee the the inquiry and then got turned down after they said i'll come in if someone gets fired and of course they're protecting each themselves still and that's what we're looking at the whole time right this is this the culture of silence protecting yourself covering up and moving on like nothing happened gives you decades of stories of abuse and assault, and uh, they're still doing it, and they don't see it. Yeah, which is sad, right? I think we're all looking for a day of reckoning, whether it comes very hard to believe that it will, at least right now. Mm -hmm. um, Ian, this has been a whole lot of fun. You know, uh, you mentioned it earlier. Um, you're going to be looking forward to the NHL season. It's crazy to think that OHL training camps are now underway again and the NHL season just around the corner. What storylines are you looking forward to for the NHL this upcoming season? I think there's a lot to be excited with in the NHL this year. Um, you know, we still have, it's, it still feels like we've got quite a bit to do in free agency and things like that and, and training camps. But, uh, you know, I think I'm going to really be interested coming off the draft to see how Shane Wright does after being passed over three times to go fourth overall. I think that that was a, a surprise to, to many, but, uh, you know, I'd love to see him come in and just blow it out of the water with uh, Seattle. Um, I'm a Red Wings fan, personally, from birth, uh, so... Seeing if uh, oh no you and Matt together <laughs> oh that's all right oh, man that's all gosh. right are you part of the Iser plan too uh, well, that's what? what I want to see you know I I I kind of <laughs> believe that uh, he pulled the trigger a little bit too early diving into uh, free agency as heavily as he did this year I would have loved to see you know one more crack at uh, the Connor Bedard uh, 
crew in there that there's some great Adam <laughs> Fantilli, you know, that there's just this great group of top talent in this draft. So I think he might have dove in too early. Uh, I hope that the, the Red Wings prove me wrong over the next year, but I'll be watching them, uh, you know, very closely. And then uh, I think another one for me is going to be some of these people like uh, can Connor McDavid and the Oilers actually get over the hump? Are the Ottawa Senators going to be an exciting team to watch? Uh, will Austin Matthews score 60 or more again? You know, there's lots of fun things to talk about in the NHL. Um, even even some of the coaching aspect or the front office, you know, I'm watching a lot of these, uh, the Cami Granado type hires and things like that that I really love to see. I want to see how far the NHL will go with uh, moving these, uh, these things forward. But yeah, lots to watch, uh, lots to be excited about for sure. Um, but big picture, I don't want the NHL start of the season to start taking over the headlines so much that we stop that important conversation on hockey uh, Canada. And that's, uh, that's actually an, uh, a big storyline that uh, for me, myself, I'll be following closely is, is how far away we get from the conversation about what really matters in the game uh, just because our, our favorite players are back in action. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. Like we, I think we can have these funds conversations, these fun debates, and have fun looking forward to the storylines. Ottawa's top six looks great. Can the Leafs win with the goaltending that they got? That sort of thing. But let's not forget about the more important subjects so the Blackhawk scandal doesn't happen again and, and so on and so forth. Well, we have a, to remember there's point. probably six or seven NHL players currently that were involved in that 2018 scandal. So right. yep. we, there's... Yep. And uh, at no point, you know, I, one of the things, again, that I'll, I'll be watching is I don't want to see when those names come out, if they do, uh, I don't want to see the conversation turn to how it's going to impact the Ottawa Senators or, you know, whatever team features those players. I don't want that to turn that direction. I think that we need to, at that point, just admit that those players are off the rosters, you know, we'll go away from it and talk about what matters. But yeah, that's, it's a... Uh, it's going to impact the NHL season this year. At some point, uh, that's going to become the headline news. And I don't know when, I don't know how, but uh, you have to believe that, that those two stories that we're talking about, the excitement and the focus on the other things, they're going to cross streams at some point. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? No, absolutely not. We need to have those both of the conversations. Like you said, we can enjoy it. We can enjoy the World Juniors, but uh, when we're writing about it, when we're talking about it, the other stuff... Uh, should be always in that conversation because it's still, uh, you know, the, the people that are in those tournaments right now will be the future role models that need to change things. Ian, we really enjoyed this conversation. In fact, we hope that we can sit down uh, in person next time and just talk about how poor your Red Wings are and, <laughs> and enjoy the hockey season and have those other conversations. It's okay. He's a Habs fan. So <laughs> well, well. if you know any goalies, <laughs> throw him a name. Hey, uh, does Connor Bedard play that? We might get him. So. <laughs> Ian, thanks a lot for this. Oh, thanks for having me. Our thanks again to Ian Kennedy of the Hockey News and the Chatham Kent Sports Network for joining us. Some great insights, and he's right. You know that story involving 
Hockey Canada is certainly far from over. Yeah, and you are right. He is a, a must-follow for sure. He does a great job covering that. And, and you know, the, the, the great thing about, about Ian and, and what he does is there's a lot of people that would love to pretend that this never happened or this is just going to go away and forget it. But but Ian, obviously, you can tell in, in that interview, this is uh, his mandate and, and something that he's very passionate about. So uh, certainly not ready to uh, to close the curtain on that anytime soon. So he's a, he's a great follow on social if you do have it. Right. Because he he makes you go further in depth. He makes you feel think more critically about the subject, like a Rick Westhead from TSN. For sure, he's another great guy, and I, I think those are important conversations, like we just had. And hope you enjoyed it. And remember, if you have any show or guest suggestions or questions for an upcoming debate, send us an email at fourfutureconsiderations at gmail And while you're following Ian Kennedy and CKSN on uh, social media, follow us too. Podcast FFC on Twitter and instagram and for future considerations on facebook plenty of controversy on all of our social media (laughs) platforms no matter what we post speaking of controversy our thanks to shane topolovic of next level (laughs) athletics in windsor specializing in sport training and nutrition we want to thank also our other sponsor london awnings quality that shows thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week on for future considerations see so that was a disgraceful performance in my opinion in my opinion, that sucked. Their mentality's awful. Their attitude's awful. It's been their M.O. for the last three years. Tonight I saw and heard one of the most disgusting, rudest, sick demonstrations in my entire career. Probably the worst. It's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. You're still here? It's over. Go home.